This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. guys and welcome to another episode of the young lion cast your audio source for all things new japan pro wrestling right here on the pod mania podcasting network i'm your host rob good and i'm joined by reggae jesus himself chris o'brien how are you chris fine <laughs> just been playing mario and doom all week you have been raving about doom do you want to talk a little bit about doom and Sort of relay your love to people. Well, it's weird. So, like, I need, I'm, I'm probably going to have nothing to do for the next few months because lockdown hasn't exactly led to a booming job market. So, true story. Um, I have like a list on my whiteboard of things I want to get through. So, like, different wrestling shows, different games, different movies. Because otherwise, Garth would murder me. Just tune into the uh, main podcast this week for my review of Clark. Um, <laughs> TV, because people keep telling me to watch Tiger King. I don't want to watch Tiger King. It looks scary and things to do. Um, and yeah, one of them was play Doom. And it's been fun. I, I Killing demons is fun. And I prefer first person shooters. We don't commit war atrocities. So like killing demons is fine by me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, you obviously live in Scotland where the measures haven't been list- lifted ridiculously prematurely, whereas in England, I'm back at work on the 1st of June, despite the fact that they've left us no fucking guidance whatsoever. But I'm fine with it. Completely fine with it, obviously. <laughs> um, but obviously... We can't show any political bias, but, you know, fuck Boris Johnson. <laughs> completely. Um, obviously, we're not here to talk about the pandemic, though the pandemic actually, ironically, is a nice place to start with this series so obviously the pandemic um is still extremely high in japan and um has led to new japan pro wrestling not releasing any live events since the end of february now harold may i don't know if you saw this chris on twitter and on facebook released a statement a nine minute statement first in english then in japanese so fair play to him um where he sort of laid out why New Japan hadn't been releasing empty arena shows and things like that, and then laid out a potential roadmap for a return. Um, This um, will start with empty arena shows, then move on to slightly filled shows where everyone's two meters apart, masks will be compulsory, they're going to have thermo imaging, that kind of thing. So like the Stardom Cinderella tournament. Exactly like that, yeah. And then, obviously, eventually that will morph into shows as we know them um he's he's obviously got no idea how long that is going to take um no one has any idea how long that is going to take he said that obviously in japan it is currently a state of emergency um as is declared by many of the prefectorals and things like that i'd said that wrong but it doesn't matter um (laughs) so they're in a little bit of a, a they're in a little bit of a jam really because they 
the arenas themselves are actually owned by the governments, and if the governments have shut the arenas, there's nowhere to for them to perform. Um, he has laid out a roadmap, like I said, of events, but it sounds like for the foreseeable future, um, we're not going to get any new New Japan content. Um, so, what myself and Chris have decided to do, rather than do the conventional classic match reviews that we have been doing, we've taken a storyline. And what we intend to do is, with this storyline, we intend to review matches and talk about that storyline throughout a series of podcasts. Now, obviously, smack my microphone around. Obviously, as you know from the title like of the, the podcast, <laughs> as you know from the title of the podcast, we've chosen the Okada versus Tanahashi feud. Um, loads of people who are new to New Japan, and like I was three or four years ago, I thought it was just their three Wrestle Kingdom matches, the Wrestle Kingdom seven, nine, and ten matches. I thought that was the feud, but we want to look deeper into that feud and. Over the next 10, yes, you heard that, 10 episodes in this series will be taking an Okada and Tanahashi match from Okada's re-debut at Wrestle Kingdom 6 all the way through to that main event at Wrestle Kingdom 10. Because in between those periods, there is so much, so much good um, storytelling to show. I mean, that's what, five, what, 2013 to 2016? So, no, 2012, so that's four years Yeah. of story. And also, um, do you want to tell the audience how much you misconstrued my initial concept for this? Thinking um, it was going to be a fucking two-part series. <laughs> well, again, originally, I, didn't re- I thought we were doing more Okada and Tanahashi matches in each podcast. I didn't realize we were going to do one Okada and Tanahashi match per podcast and then do the contextual matches around it. I thought we were doing more. So it makes sense to do it the way we're doing. We can talk about it in more detail and things like that. Now, obviously, this podcast is usually released fortnightly. Um, It hasn't been recently, obviously, with the lack of content being pumped out by New Japan. So what we are going to do is we are going to make this series a weekly thing. So for the next 10 weeks on a Wednesday at 10 p.m., you will get this series. And hopefully by the end, by Wrestle Kingdom 10, hopefully you will be as into it as we were because this feud was incredible. Yeah, within 10 weeks, we are either going to have new wrestling or the world will have raccoon city. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. We don't don't get enough Resident Evil 2 references on this podcast. (laughs) We don't. Is this because you've been playing on Doom? You just feel like Uh, you need to shoehorn those references in? Um, to be fair, I think Resident Evil 2 is the next game we're going to play after Doom. Because I apparently have no chill. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so shall we dive straight in, Chris? I guess we should. Yeah. So to start with, before we get into our first matches, the first time that Okada and Tanahashi faced off in a singles match, was actually when Okada was a young lion. And this was back in 2010, I believe. It was his last match before Okada went off to his very, very successful excursion in TNA. Um, And we're not going to review that match. It was your typical Tanahashi versus Okada match. It was your typical... Sorry, it was your typical main roster star versus young lion match. Even then, you could tell 
There was something a little bit special about Okada, even if it's just the fact that he sat with his back to Tanahashi as Tanahashi came to the ring. Just just that little bit of defiance, that little bit of personality, sort of shed that bit of light on Okada as that potential star. Now, obviously, he then went to uh, TNA and... Jesus fucking Christ. Um, TNA apparently didn't see the same star that New Japan saw, and rather than use him in any sort of serious program, they completely botched him, not only not using him rarely, very rarely using him at all. Um, When they did, they put him in a mask and dressed him as the Green Hornet. So... As you do. As you do. So, (laughs) New Japan... Obviously, very, very annoyed, um, decided that, right, well, this is a guy we've earmarked for huge things in the future. You're treating him like a joke. At this point, TNA and New Japan were very, very close. TNA talent was on a lot of the Wrestle Kingdom shows, including Wrestle Kingdom 5, uh, where Jeff Hardy, I think, uh, defeated Naito for the TNA World Championship. I know that um, Beer Money were in the IWGP tag team picture, Rob Van Dam. Defeated and the Dudleys. Yes. And the, du- the Dudleys have the IWGP title. Um, Angle, actually, this is a few years before, but like Angle managed to get the original IWGP title, but Brock Lesnar stole back to TNA. <laughs> so it wasn't like this was, you know, a small list. There was a big relationship, but it's heavily rumored that the way TNA treated Okada soured the relationship that much that T- um, New Japan cut all ties with TNA and we cut to WrestleMania. Um, they also put the IWGP tag titles on the line without asking. <clears throat> um, which, like, to be fair, like I, I'm surprised New Japan noticed the way they book their tag division. <laughs> well, that is true. Actually, to be fair, that would add a, a layer of depth that New Japan refused to add to their own tag division, so never mind. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so from there... We cut to Wrestle Kingdom 6 in 2012, and there is not one member of the TNA roster on this show. So it's quite interesting that even before Okada re-debuted, they'd obviously earmarked him for huge things because they wouldn't have been that annoyed with his booking if he was just going to be, you know, a Yoshihashi. Well, any young line with on excursion may expect something from, like, what TNA did to Okada was fairly like unforgivable. <laughs> like a, for if you were just borrowing someone else's talent. Yeah, and then if you compare that to how Yoshihashi was treated, he went to do his excursion in CMLL. He was on pretty much every single tour. He was on pretty much every single show. So even though he didn't win championships, at least he was being used. He was honing a character. He was honing his move set. Whereas Okada didn't have those opportunities. I mean, you look at Young Lions now. Look at Kawato. Kawato, I believe, was CMLL welterweight champion. I believe. I know I'm... that he definitely held one of the belts. So, mm-hmm. or even like Oka in Revpro doing decent. Like their excursions actually help them learn in front of different audiences. Like that's the point of excursion and the fact that they weren't booking and then booking him. And if they were booking him, they were booking him badly. Sort of definitely would sour the relationship. Like, I think Ring of Honor, in terms of a partnership, is much better because their best style, especially around this time when we were just getting into... I think it was like two years later when we had that relationship struck up. Um, Their style just fits New Japan um, Young Lions better. Yeah, 
Absolutely, absolutely. So we cut then to the Tokyo Dome on the 4th of January 2012 for Wrestle Kingdom. So don't forget this entire year is the 40th anniversary. So every single event is big on the 40th anniversary, that big celebration of New Japan. Which, by the way, makes it super hard to find a specific fucking um, card on Cage Match. The worst, the worst one I found, and this is on a later episode, but the Goto one from Don Taku. <laughs> I really struggled to find that originally because it's called about three different things. Because technically, it was on the Brave Tour. Um, technically, it's called a 40th anniversary show, and it wasn't called Don Taku 2012, which really, really confused me. So it took me ages to fucking find that, but find it, I did. Um. So just before we get into the matches that we're talking about, some other matches that are on this card. We had Tenkoji defeating Bad Intentions for the IWGP Tag Team titles. Uh, Makabe defeated Takayama. Uh, there's some Noah talent on here with Shiozaki and Marafuji defeating Nakamura and Yano. And then this was a match you wanted me to watch because I haven't had, unfortunately had time to watch it yet. But the semi-main event was All Japan's Keiji Muto defeating Tetsuya Naito in 22 minutes and 35 seconds in a battle of the geniuses. Before we get into our match, do you just want to talk about that very quickly? Um, well, yeah, I mostly picked it uh, um, as a bonus match for this episode, which, by the way, at the end of each episode, we're going to tell you what matches uh next and then also throw in some bonus matches if you want to watch along. Um, Muto and Naito, I, pu- I picked that out because... Um, Naito was being groomed for great things and it was sort of in um, tandem with Okada. We're going to go into that when we got into um, New Beginning. But like just to show that Naito's being booked in prominent positions beforehand, he was definitely being put, um, pushed really strong at this point. And yeah, the match itself is a bit... Well, it's it's a match of two hours, weirdly enough. Like Muto when, was really good. He's a genius at um, targeting a limb. Like, for example, he managed to dropkick... Um, Naito's knee mid forearm. Like, you know, Naito was jumping forearm. Oh, yeah. He managed to hit a drop kick on the knee during that. That's quite impressive. That's really cool, isn't it? Because, um, and then, like, he pulled out a moonsault, which I imagine was beginning to be more of a rarity at this point. Um, I, I love Muto. I love, I love him to bits. But also, like, when Naito was on offense, because, like, Muto, when everyone was on offense, He'd keep adjusting his regular moveset of like drop kicks and all that um, to hit the knee to sort of um, new to Naito. And then, like, he won about a million shining wizards in the moon cell. But, like, when Naito was on offense, he just completely lost interest because he, he was a charisma vacuum <laughs> and Muto couldn't save him. Um, it's yeah, bizarre it was, I, to hear you say that. And I, I know, obviously, there's loads of issues with Naito's verse gimmick as Stardust Genius. But, yeah, like imagine Cody and Cody and Legacy versus Cody now. That's sort of a transformation we're speaking of here. It's just baffling that Naito, who gets the reaction that he does in 2020, to you know basically have a silent mm-hmm. Tokyo Dome and not be able to be saved by Muto is just well, it's baffling. We'll be getting onto like Naito's struggles when we get onto Wrestle Kingdom two years after this, but yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And um, his, really enough, it wasn't about the derailed his push, but again, we'll get onto that later in the episode um but i guess I, I don't know i keep looking at this card and like i'm on i'm on the cage match page right now i'm surprised more ca- matches aren't recommended just because of some of the 
um, matches on here. Like, for example, I can't believe that Toga Makabe versus Takayama isn't, like, the best match ever. I mean, this is when Togi Makabe would actually voluntarily take bumps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not the Togi Makabe of uh, the last three years. Um, yeah, like, this is, like, prime Great Bashiel Makabe. And, like, even, like, Tenkoji versus Bad Intentions would seem it would be, like, a decent, violent, Giants-esque tag match. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Goto versus Sugiora, I imagine, was good. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd hope so. Seeing what Goto was being groomed for just before this, um, also that six man must have been somewhat, um, somewhat tasty. Which one was that? Liger Kashida and Dorado versus um, Tiger oh, yeah. Mask, um, uh, and Tiger Mask versus Suzuki. Mostly because Tai Chi's in there, and like as we know, he's the best wrestler to ever grace a New Japan ring. But anyway, the match we're here to actually. T- oh shit! MVP's on this card. Sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. keep forgetting he's the first ever intercontinental champion let's never forget never ever uh, forget um so third match on the card we had <laughs> yeah. two returning young lions with Yoshihashi who was channeling his inner Sinbad the sailor the worst trousers I think I've ever seen in my life he you was already in the ring <laughs> he was already in the ring and um yeah but there was a lot of this because i think it's to do with music rights i think it probably is um, because the same happened when muto um they cut out his entrance and then when he won um they just cut away before the music started well don't forget muto was of course with all japan, In all japan yeah who who's, keeps using licensed music um so yoshiashi already in the ring okada's music hits um and that is the only way you can tell that it is Kazuchika Okada emerging from the back because what emerges is in no way Kazuchika Okada as we know him now. Um, it's no, um, his clothes don't fit him. Um, he's very clearly not confident. His face is pudgy, like really pudgy. His hair like, is all over the place. It's massive for a start. Yeah, um, like it's a proper like quiff. Like he listened to the Smiths one time and wanted to be Morrissey. Um, yeah, very flock of seagulls. Nothing, like nothing about this worked. Like even the music felt less epic. Yeah, and I think it was less epic because, and I know the Tokyo Dome suffers from this. There was no reaction at all. There was there yeah. was complete silence as Okada walked at- to the ring. You look at the main events, one of the, the actual main event recovering, but it was still nice. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, yes, I know, you know, you're not going to have the same volume of noise for Hiroshi, Tanahashi and Suzuki, you know, as opposed to two returning young lions, but you expect something and there was yeah. nothing. And I think that probably didn't help Okada's sort of confidence. You know, this is first match back. He's on a Wrestle Kingdom. Um, anyway, right, this but- match... Happens. It's nothing. It's, it's it's an absolutely nothing match. Like it's something you'd see in. It's, it's like a dark match. It's like when you go to a um, TV taping and we have a dark match to warm you up. This is what it is. And like, I'm not being funny. This is below the standard of young lion matches today. Like oh, it's absolutely. Be- it's, like they, they average five out of ten. Sometimes if you have a render meter in there, go up to a six. If he's in there with Zack Saber Junior, he can achieve a seven. I think even achieve um, Narita even achieved an eight last year in the Super Juniors. But um, no, this was 
Like, he, you can see, like, all of Okada's signature offense, but it's like if an indie wrestler was trying to copy Okada because none of it landed. None of it. Well, there's one spot that's worth talking about here. I mean, there was the drop kick, which Okada has always done, and that was the one thing that hit and looked good here. I mean, it didn't help, and nothing against Yoshihashi whatsoever, but he's never been the most dynamic performer. I'd, he was heel in this match, like overly heel he just um joined chaos who were a heel faction at that point that's something we're going to talk about later on but i think he actually plays a heel better than he does why me babyface here it was just it was very plodding i mean it lasted four minutes and 37 seconds i think four minutes yeah four minutes 37 and it felt longer and the one spot it did the one spot i wanted to talk to you about was the finish the Rainmaker. Rainmaker. Now, oh my god, so weak. I have never seen a sit-out Rainmaker before. Um, I have. He actually sometimes pulls that out when he faces Tan- when he faces Yoshihashi in the G1. <laughs> Just to parody that match. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like if you um you're watching through G128 um occasionally right now, aren't you? When you get to the Yoshihashi Okada match, I'm, I believe he does it. Just amazing. Um but yeah, it was it was weak. It didn't feel like the finish. There was no reaction. The bell rang, and again, utter silence. Um, yeah. He walked to the back, and that was it. We're not underselling this match to you. It's it's important to know just how average, just how well. No, was, you're absolutely it, it a, right. It was below it, average. It was aggressively average. It was it was not a very good match. And actually, in hindsight, I think if this match, you know, if Okada had come out and, you know, absolutely blown Yoshihashi away, had this really great match, I don't think the storyline would have worked as well. Because they both came out and completely shit the bed, when what happens later on happens, it works so much better into the storyline and we'll we'll get into that in a minute and you'll see what i mean but yeah (laughs) unless you are doing this to watch along and look at all the story beats of this feud you must never ever watch this match no like honestly i can think of much better things to do with five hang hang on what what would you rather do for five minutes of time it would take to watch this match six if you include them entrances i would rather watch the buffering circle than this match i would rather wait um for your old internet connection to get going (laughs) Um, for me to shovel the coal into the fire yeah i'd rather watch six minutes a random six minutes of raw um anything like honestly this is this barely i don't even know what to rate this i'd give it like two i gave it three so it's legit one of the worst new um, New japan singles matches i've ever seen it's definitely the worst um okada singles match we've ever seen oh god yes oh god yes so let's move on from this match because the tokyo dome crowd have obviously seen this match and thought we're not seeing him again they forgot about it as soon as it finished yeah (laughs) a couple of them before it had finished um so we move on to the main event now i will explain why this confused me in a moment so the IWGP Heavyweight Championship on the line with Hiroshi Tanahashi defeating Minoru Suzuki in 25 minutes and 59 seconds. Now, a bit of backstory to this. Um, Hiroshi Tanahashi was on the brink 
of breaking the defense's record, which was held by Yuji Nagata. He was tying with Nagata with 10 successful defenses heading into this match. He'd won it off Kojima at WrestleMania, WrestleMania, Wrestle Kingdom 5, um, and his defenses were as follows. So he defended again against Kojima straight after, and then he defended against Nagata. Nakamura, Charlie Haas... On the uh, on the America I've to- tour, I've told you that match existed, and every time I tell you it exists, you don't. You seem to not believe me. <laughs> no, I knew it exists because it's on the same tour that MVP wins the IWGP Intercontinental Championship. Yeah. Um. Then Goto, Giant Bernard, Shinsuke Nakamura again, Tetsuya Naito, Toriano, Yuji Nagata again to tie the ten defenses, and then obviously here against Suzuki. Now, what I couldn't understand is. Because obviously, when I come in, when I came into New Japan, the idea was that whoever won the G1 Climax would then go on to Wrestle Kingdom to challenge the IWGP Heavyweight Championship holder. Now I got really confused because I saw this and thought, "When did Suzuki win a G1?" It turns out, obviously, he didn't. Nakamura won it in 2011, but he had his opportunity at a G1 Special in September. So just to clear up. My own bloody confusion. Uh, that's that's how we ended up with this in the main event and not uh, Tanahashi Nakamura. Yeah, I believe it was this year. Um, the year we're covering right now um, is where that was brought in. Yes, it is. That was going to be mainly, a story a bit later. And it, and it seems to be mainly a device to keep this feud going. But anyway, um, yeah, Suzuki just... To be fair, this is probably like the best match we could have had for this Wrestle Kingdom because Suzuki wasn't a name but you read off. And like, I'm looking at the rest of this card, I can't think of a bigger draw on this card at this time. No, I agree with you. I think he was probably, aside from Nakamura, I think it was far too early for Naito to be in that position. Yeah, but like, like those two Nakamura defenses in this reign, I don't think he needed another. No, no, I agree with you. Um, so Suzuki was, you know, a fair, a good addition to this, and. He gave Tanahashi a different type of match. Um, yeah. Um, what I will say about this match, Suzuki is much better when he has an obvious game plan, like the King of Pro Wrestling match we covered in the Classic, mm-hmm. where he obviously had a game plan. Here, he was just sort of crazy cycle Suzuki, which is fun, but like also le- absolutely less interesting to watch. I would argue. I mean, we... Like I said, we mentioned the uh, King of Pro Wrestling show from later on this year. We reviewed that in a past episode um, where he targets certain limbs, which is brilliant. And then again in 2017 when Suzuki takes the Intercontinental belt off Tanahashi, there's a similar thing there. I actually prefer that New Beginning match to this because just Suzuki destroys Tanahashi's knees. To be honest, I think this might be their worst match. Maybe one of the G1 that I can't remember, but... I don't think it's a... It's not a bad match. It's not a bad match at all. If I was ranking them out, it's like... It's a bottom... You know what this feels like? And this is going to sound weird. This sounds like... This feels like the touring version of the Suzuki versus Tanahashi match. This feels like a Suzuki-Tanahashi match we'd get outside of um, New Japan, like in Ring of Honor or something. I don't want this to sound ridiculous because I know it's going to come out really good. It felt very safe. Yeah, no, exactly. It was very much just a crowd-pleasing um, title defense, which, I don't know, it didn't feel special. It was good, but it didn't feel special. It felt like something that would happen in the G1 and then get lost among the G1 matches. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Now, there were spots, there were great moments. Oh, there, was, there was a great moment where Tanahashi goes up to the top and then Suzuki fucking scrambles up and locks him into a butterfly lock. That was great. Yeah. Not a butterfly lock, an um, octopus stretch. It was great. There's, you know, there's a moment where Tanahashi kicks out of the Gotch-style pile driver. I don't think I've ever seen anyone kick out of the Gotch-style pile driver. It was, no, it became, it was a baffling moment. His... Especially in his comeback in 2017, it became a world killer. So. Yeah, it did. To this day, I don't think people kick out of the Gotch style pile driver. No, but like I would Im- indicate that Suzuki's given singles matches nowadays. So. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Um, but you're right. You know, it was a good match for what it was. It wasn't a world beater. It was there to showcase Suzuki as this madman. You know, sort of emphasised by him licking and chewing on the ropes at one point, which was a little bit gross. Um, but yeah, to make sure that Tanahashi defeated that record for most successful title defences in a row and basically send the crowd home happy, having watched a decent match. Then, as Tanahashi pins Suzuki, hits the high fly flow, everyone's happy, Tanahashi takes to the microphone to talk to the crowd. This thing emerges. <laughs> now, I say thing... Because it's the only way I can describe it. It's it's wearing this little silhouette of a man, <laughs> Scaramouche. Um, it's obviously Okada, but again, he's wearing a black shirt that is about fifty times too big for him. He look, he look, he look like a primary seven going to the primary seven dance. It couldn't look more out of place if he tried. He emerged. His hair was even worse. It looked bigger. His face somehow looked pudgier. His shirt was ill-fitting. He just looked completely out of place. And his emergence from the, from the crowd got no reaction at all. People probably forgot who he was. Legitimately, I, I was like, is that Okada? But obviously it was. He walks into the ring and, quite honestly, Tanahashi laughs in his face. <laughs> yeah, he essentially goes, this is earned, but yeah, sure, kid, you can get a shot. Yeah, basically Okada thinks, well, I've won a match, you know, irrelevant of how fucking awful that match was. He came out, said, I want a shot at that championship. Tanahashi, who is absolutely beloved by the crowd at this point, um, you know, even more so than he is now. The reactions he got were astronomical. Um, he laughs, says, yeah, all right. Clearly thinking this is going to be another easy title defense. You, again, bear in mind the year that he has just come off, the people that he's just beaten. I, you know, I listed them before, Nakamura, Kojima, Nagata. Those Haas. people, yeah, Charlie Haas, <laughs> Giant Bernard. Um, you look at that people and he obviously thinks I will have had far harder matches against far better opponents. Um, They both do a pose-off. Massive cheer for Tanahashi's. Absolutely nothing for Okada's. Okada leaves, and Tanahashi sends the fans home happy. This was awkward. This was uncomfortable. And at no point during this segment, similar to the match earlier on the show... No point during this segment did Okada feel special. Have, have you, you know, what this felt like? Have you ever, um, like, been out on a night out, now with your friends, and one of them tries to hit on someone, and it's clearly going very badly, and everyone can see that but him? 
Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely. Ex- it was like that. <laughs> it was like him there going, hey, baby, did you fill from heaven? And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> Stop, Stop it. Stop it. I don't know who it. I feel... I don't know who I feel more sorry for, you or the person you're fucking harassing. Leave her alone. Leave her alone. <laughs> it it was awful. Meltzer had a field day with this. Just the way that it it just he, he looked green, Okada. He looked terrible. At no point did he carry himself like either you know, a main eventer, never mind an IWGP champion. The person to break Tanahashi, who had almost single handedly pulled this company out of the dark in the mid-noughties. At no point did they even compare, and apparently the reaction in Japan wasn't very good either towards Okada, and it seemed like a bit of a shit show. Um, So, this all went down, this title defense, all went down at the New Beginnings show in February 2012. Um, Chris... Yeah. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get on to this match? Um, the undercard looked quite fun. Go on. Um, for example, no remorse co- nah, no remorse corps of David Richards and Rocky Romero have taken on Devitt and Taguchi. That would be good. Yeah, it was a rematch, I think, from Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Must yeah. But then again, New Beginning always seems to act as that because also up further up the card you have Tinkoji versus Bad Intentions. Yeah. Um but like there's one match I actually I actually do want to talk about two. First of all, Masato Tanaka versus Hiroki Goto with Goto winning the championship. That's going to play into a match next time because Goto ended up going on a hot streak. And Naito versus Nakamura. Now, this is actually one I need to talk about as part of the story. When Bushiroad took over um, New Japan, it wouldn't have been too far before this, would it? It'd be like about a year, maybe. I think so, yeah. Um, They sort of earmarked um, two people as the future as who their champion's going to be and they're going to have them happen in different ways so you're going to have this shock um, brash young kid in Okada which we'll go into in a second and then Naito who is going to be like your more traditionally built ace and like the whole thing was by rescuing the mate oh, eight, they were going to um, collide um, unfortunately Naito got injured not long after this which absolutely derailed that but it was going to start here because um, in the semi-main, Naito um, pinned Shinsuke Nakamura, who was Tanahashi's, uh, who was like the secondary ace next to Tanahashi. Yeah, absolutely, and that plays into something we're going to talk about on the next podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so Naito picking because it was a special singles match. So in essence, number one contendership. So whatever going forward, Naito was going to be probably be a challenger, but also like this is meant to set up. Naito becoming a future like I think Naito was basically earmarked as the ace and Okada was going to be like the Nakamura charismatic under um just under the ace type thing how things fucking changed um but yeah it was basically the start of the story this is the start of like Bushiroad's vision for New Japan yeah so we come screeching into the main event and what we get is something very, very different. Now, this to put this in today's context, because it's very difficult now, you know, especially for new fans to look at Okada and think of him as anything else than, you know, the Rainmaker, the person with the, the longest been, title. Uh, god. Yeah, exactly. A wrestling god. It's like Oka coming back 
and winning the championship in his first match. It's like Kawato, but worse, because Kawato at least held championships in CMLL. It's it's just it's baffling to think that this happened. Like it's weird, like modern New Japan fans don't seem to think this this sort of thing happens fairly well, not like this exact thing, but like young lions and getting coming back and getting championship opportunities very quickly. That's, New Japan's always done that. Like they're fairly ambitious bookers, like it's Jay White seems to get the brunt of it, but like then you just look um the year before where Rapungi Three K came back and won the title. So like is it something like this isn't completely unheard of, but like the context behind it, Okada's last match, like I'm, it's is unbelievable how much it changed. It works on almost every level. Okay, so essentially Okada comes out and he's looking a lot more like himself. It's it's eerie how it different eerie. he looks. How do you make your face less pudgy? <laughs> he he'd leaned up so much. The robe fit better. He was with Gado and he carried himself. The difference in entrances between him and Tanahashi is so clear. Okada storms down to the ring, focused, no pomp, no circumstance. This is Okada we're talking about. No pomp, no circumstance. He walks to the ring, focused. Tanahashi takes three times as long as Okada to get to the ring. He's just sticking about doing air guitar solos. Um, What kind of air guitar do you think he plays? I think he plays a flying V. He seems like a flying V type, maybe an explorer if he's feeling like a bad bitch. Maybe, um, maybe. I'm thinking of J200 if he's feeling like getting soulful. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it's just playing it down to just air guitaring all the way down. He's very clearly not taking this seriously. He has the air of I am the best in the world right now, and I'm facing a fucking rookie. Like, because I'm not being funny. If I was like in Osaka, I might have skipped the show just because of the fucking main event being so bad. Like on paper. The main event for this is so bad. But you've just said it was... Bushi Road had just taken over. Yeah. And then to have this... To have this shock... To have this in the main event to start off with... Was a huge gamble. To have effectively Absolutely. what is a returning young lion... In the main event of a show... Against your ace. Exactly. Who would... Yeah, exactly. Who had had the worst match on a Wrestle Kingdom card... I just I don't understand how they had the balls to do this. It was so. so I mean, in in I, retrospect, honestly, it was a very very good decision. It was a stroke honestly, of genius. Like, I think the Okada Yoshihashi match. I think they were trying to both undercut him in kayfabe and real life, so like you wouldn't expect it at all. And it's not like something like Jinder Mahal where he had a history of losing. Okada had won a match, just it was a bad match. A really bad match. And then he comes in here, everything he hit in the last match he hit here, but it connected so much more, like the drop kicks and the um and the air raid crash and the rainmakers. It just it fucked so hard, Rob. And and like honestly, like does it just in stark contrast to what we had seen from both men the time before. Right, like, okay, this match essentially started out as a Randy Orton special. Like, Tanahashi was holding him in the headlock, just being a dick. He was being an... Ar- Even though Okada is being packaged as this upstart, basically dickhead playboy, it's mm. Tanahashi who's doing all of the heelish, arrogant bits at the start because he does think... Well, he knows. 
he's better than Okada. He's a cut above Okada. And you're right, that plays out in the first probably five, ten minutes of the match. Yeah, the first five minutes of the match are just Tanner holding him in the headlock. But then as soon as Okada creates distance and a drop kick, Tanner never really got the run he needed to beat Okada. Because that's the thing, Tanahashi clearly didn't come in with a game plan because he didn't feel he had to. It's like, yeah, I'm probably going to beat this guy in like 10 minutes. So I'll, I'll drag him to a good match. And then like Okada just starts hitting him with everything. Like, like there was uh, power, uh, Tombstone, what, 10 minutes into this match? Yeah. And it sort of all went downhill from there. Like Tana would make a comeback, and then Okada would get him to be outside, chuck him about for a wee bit. We'd get back inside. Tana would make a comeback, back outside, and then a tombstone on the fucking floor. It was at that moment I think that Tanahashi realised he'd massively, massively underestimated the challenge here. It was a different person he'd seen thirty-nine days ago. Thirty-nine shitting the bed against Yoshihashi. And I know it's a completely different kettle of fish, having a singles match with a freshly, you know, recalled Yoshihashi and having a match in ring with the hottest wrestler in 2012. You know, two very, very different things. I imagine it was very difficult to have a bad match with Tanahashi at that time. But even so, Okada here, you know, he just targeted the neck. He'd got a game plan and it felt very, very much like Tanahashi was out of his depth, which was just such a weird thing to see from the person who'd broken the most title defences. To see him out of his depth against, basically, a young lion, was it was it was a strange dynamic to watch. Yeah, and, like, Okada, like, Okada just very clearly prepared for absolutely everything. And, like, it wasn't... An, an, a hard game plan to execute because all his um, moves are just neck based like all of them all the bombs he's going to throw are going to end up with Tanahashi either with his neck hitting the floor or with his neck going into Okada's knee so yeah there's a team turning on the floor Okada, um, Tanahashi never really got a comeback he almost hit a high flow flow ate shit and then got a Rainmaker and lost and the Rainmaker by the way there's such a stark difference between the shit version a month ago and this one if you want a good contrast to show how much Okada had changed in those 39 days between shitting the bed at Wrestle Kingdom and coming back for this main event, if you wanted a, a more stark contrast, just watch those two Rainmakers. Against Yoshihashi, it was tentative. It was still finding its form. It was a sit-out one, which, you know, even looking at it now, just it didn't work. Here, the sound it made as he hits Tanahashi with it, the force he put into it, it felt destructive, it felt solid, it felt assured. And obviously, Okada covers Tanahashi. The reaction, the reaction, Chris, is just fucking lunacy. You've got half the crowd jumping up as though to go... Oh my God, what have we just seen? You've got people visibly leaving in anger, which is absolutely amazing. You've got people just with their hands on their heads. It's it's like the reaction that Jinder Mahal got, like you mentioned earlier, when he beat Randy Orton at Backlash. But whereas people were cheering because they just wanted something different, this was completely out of left field, out of the blue. Not one person will have walked into that venue 
thinking that Okada was going to walk out champion. And here he was, a foot on Tanahashi's chest, the fallen icon of New Japan, and he was there, this plucky upstart, in his second singles match back in New Japan, having defeated the most undefeatable champion New Japan had seen in years. Yeah, it's almost like this is something they can never, ever do again. Like, I'd like to think this is something Gado had in his back pocket and he was like, I'm only going to pull this on someone. I really want to pull this. Because, like, aspects of this can happen again. Like, the shock in Osaka, or, like, even the shock in general. We've had several of those. Like, we've had the style shock, the Jay White shock. They just, they happen. But, like, in this context, this can never happen again. You've mentioned the Jay White one. I think, yeah, that's very similar. But, obviously, Jay White's had a year in the company at that point. And it progressed had a year. Hugely. He had a year of putting on bangers as well. Yeah, aside from that first Tanahashi match at Wrestle Kingdom, he, Everything you know, his bangers. G1 it, was fantastic. He, like his match with Juice, he put a banger out of the fucking David Finlay. Like his Omega match is an underrated gem that people overlook because they're like, oh, but Omega lost, fuck off. Um, no, like, but here, like literally your only point of reference, the only account Okada had made for himself was dressing up as Green Hornet in TNA. And um, shit him about Yoshihashi. That was literally it. <laughs> that, was, that was all you had to draw on. He was untried, untested, and now he was the IWGP heavyweight champion. And people just <laughs> did not know at all how to take it. And like I say, people usually stay for those press conferences. Um, those press conferences, sorry, those addresses at the end of the show. Yeah, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor to close for crap. Um, close for night because you're the lasting image of that show and therefore the lasting image a lot of those people will have of your the company and they were like we don't want that image and i'm going i've only ever seen twice where people haven't stayed and ironically they've both featured out featured okada um, yeah the other one being jericho at last year's dominion oh no no i wasn't talking about that i was talking about wrestle kingdom 12 oh fuck yeah oh yeah <laughs> when he basically was talking to himself and gay though um but yeah, obviously here, he was speaking to about a quarter of the venue because, and again, going off what Meltzer said, the reaction in Japan to Okada unseating Tanahashi, Okada being chosen to break that streak, was it had such a negative backlash. It was, it was a Roman Reigns type thing, but they were smart about it because they knew that was going to happen. That's why they stuck Gado with him because they were like, if we're going to position him as like the go- as the company chosen guy, we might as well have the Booker come out to the ring with it. So, we're going to leave it there for today. Okada has the belt. Bushiroad have pulled the trigger. You now have this, you know, person who's had two matches holding your highest title. How is that going to go? Because they've pulled the trigger, they now need to make sure that this becomes a success. So, Next week, we are going to do episode two, Okada's first reign. So, Chris, what matches are we looking at next week? Right, so your main matches are um, him versus Naito, him versus Goto, sorry, and him versus Tanahashi, and they're at, um, at the anniversary event at Dentaku and then at Dominion. Um, also, you're going to want to watch, if you want to watch Goto's run through the New Japan Cup just to see how we got there. 
Um, I completely blanked on what Tanahashi was doing around this time. Uh, um, Tanahashi was he lost to Goto in the New Japan the, Cup final, Japan Cup final, and there yeah. was in a special tag match in the semi-main of Domtaku. You might as well throw that in as well. Um, <laughs> as your special bonus matches. Yeah, there's, there's no other wrestling to watch that really is there unless you're going to watch SmackDown. And I, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. <laughs> so anyway, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, please check out the remainder of this series. Obviously, this feud heats up and leads to some absolutely astronomically amazing matches. This is not... Okada and Tanahashi's best match. I don't think anyone... It's not their worst either. It's not their worst. I don't think it's anywhere near their best. I don't think they profess it to be their best. I don't think that's the reason people remember it. Um, I mean, I gave it an 8, but... I also gave it an 8, but that's mostly because of the story. Like, in terms of, like, pure substance, there's not a ton to talk about here. Exactly. So, in the meantime, talk to us on Twitter at at the Young Lioncast. You can join the Facebook group um, for Podmania podcast. Come in, check out all of the good wrestling talk there. Um, you can subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Uh, you can talk to me on Twitter at at Real Rob Goodwin. They can find you on Twitter, Chris. Where? Um, and Bushy. <laughs> Don't forget to check out the website for our archived podcasts, www.podmania.co.uk, as well as our match ratings archive, including an absolute plethora of New Japan events. There are so many on there. Go and check those out. Thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>